0: Let's pray together. Lord, as we look into your word again today, we ask for your wisdom and your insight. Lord, speak to us. Spirit of God, you have promised to be our guide and to reveal your truth. So, Lord, we ask that you would do that today. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Anybody there? Amen. Now that's better. We've been looking together at the Sermon on the Mount, the blessings of God. And God, or Jesus, spoke about eight ways that we receive blessing. And we've just finished off looking then at the ways in which, as Jesus describes, and we resist those blessings in our lives, with what's coming out of our heart, what goes into our heart, our covenant promises, our integrity. Last week, we looked at that retaliation and defensiveness and about passive versus active kind of love. And Jesus says if you, you do these things or if you, you uh, don't recognize them in your life, then they're like hindrances. They're like weeds that grow up in the garden and they choke the, the, the beauty of the flowers that God wants to bring, the blessings that he wants to bring in your life. But Jesus then, once he's done that, goes on in chapter 6 of Matthew's gospel to talk about something else in the same line. He talks about kingdom activities from chapter 6 verses 1 to 18. And it's like he's trying to describe for us positions whereby we can receive even more blessing. If you go back to the garden analogy, what Jesus is really talking about is fertilizer, right? So you've got the flowers that are the blessings, then you've got the weeds that you need to pluck out, otherwise those blessings are going to get hindered. They're going to get you know, covered and surrounded by the weeds and you won't be able to see. They'll be choked. But also there are things that we can do in our lives, like the fertilizer, like giving the right sunlight and the right shade and the right water, that can encourage the blessing to grow even stronger in our lives. And Jesus, in verses 1 to 18 of chapter 6, describes those kind of things. The things that we can do in our lives that will encourage a greater blessing in our lives. Those eight things that God wants to impart in us can be even greater if we do these things. So let's look at the first one today. Let's read this together. It says from verses 1 to 4. Let's read it. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. That's the pianist voice, uh, verse, that is. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Verse Matthew 6, verse 4, there you go. So let's look at this together. What is Jesus really saying? Well, first he's saying that we have to know how and where to position ourselves spiritually to receive the blessing. There are certain things that we need to do in our lives that allow the blessing to go. When you buy a plant, I'm not much of a gardener, really. But when you get a new plant, it has instructions on it, doesn't it? How much sunlight, how much shade. Don't put this in direct sunlight. Otherwise, what's going to happen? It'll wither and it'll just die. So you have to find a shady part. It tells you what kind of soil it needs, whether it's too much water or too little water, and, and, how on, and so on and so on and so on. Not in acidic soil, but in alkaline, whatever that means and so on. And in the same way, Jesus says, we have to be positioned. When you go through the pages of scripture, you see that in operation. You have to be there in the right place at the right time to catch the blessing that God wants to impart to you. So your geography matters where you are. Your friendships matter. The ministry and the gifting that you're using matters. Your quiet times with the Lord, those times of feeding matter. The church family that you're connected to, they all matter. They all need to be aligned so that the blessing of God can pour into your life and through you. We've got a gutter down the side of our house, at the side of the ments. And it's not in the right place. I don't know if it's too far out or it's too close in, but when it rains, the water doesn't go into the gutter. It flows over the top and down into the the alleyway. And what's happening, somebody, when they put it in, either put it too far away from the house, so the water comes down and misses most of the gutter and goes in between the gutter and the house. Or it's too far in underneath the, the tiles, and the water comes down and goes straight over the gutter and straight down into the passageway. So if that's you and that's me, think about that. If you're not in the right place at the right time, then when the water flows, when the blessing of God flows, you're going to be in the wrong place. The water will just pass you by, and it won't be flowing in you and through you. Think about in the Bible. Think in Genesis 41. Remember the story of Joseph? And there he was in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife tried to come on to him, and he ran away, and she accused him. He ended up in prison. And there he was with the the baker and the the cupbearer, and, and they had visions and dreams, and he told them what they meant, and they came true. And he said to the baker, he said, remember, or the cupbearer, remember me. To Pharaoh, I'm not supposed to be here. And what happened? The guy got out of prison and completely forgot. Two years he was there in prison, waiting, doing nothing. Two years. Why? Because he was only remembered when Pharaoh said... I've got this dream, and then the cupbearer said, hey, I know somebody who knows how to interpret dreams. Now, if Joseph had got out of prison, where would he have been? He could have been anywhere. They would have been searching high and low for Joseph. Where is he? He's not anywhere. I don't know where he's gone. Maybe he's gone back to Israel. He may be somewhere else, but they knew where he was. He was still in prison. He was in the right place at the right time. And so he was able to be called into Pharaoh's, before Pharaoh, into the palace. And there interpret Pharaoh's dream, and then Pharaoh elevated him to help the whole nation, and not just Egypt, but Israel and all the other nations around, because he said, remember, there were seven years of plenty, followed by the seven years of famine. And And he stored up all the grain during the seven years of plenty, and made Egypt incredibly wealthy by selling it off during the seven years of famine. He was in the right place at the right time. He was doing the right thing. He carried on in the right way. He was connected in the right sense. And it's the same for you and for me in God's family. Are you in the right place, doing the right thing, in the right way with the right people so that you receive the blessing that God wants to give to you? It's critical that we're in the right place. Sometimes, you know, when you get offered new jobs or other things, you need to stop and say, is this where God wants me to be? That's the only question. You know, when I was looking for for a church, I went to two other churches before here, and I asked the same question, Lord, is this where you want me to be? Is this where you want me to be? I don't care how big or small the church is. I don't care where it is in this country. All I care about is, is this where you want me to be? Because if I'm in the right place, then I know the blessing is going to flow. If I'm serving in the wrong place, then what a waste of time. It's the same in our lives. If you're thinking of moving house, is this where God wants me to be? Ask that same question. Is this the right community? Is this the right friendships? And so on. The second thing is that doing these activities is assumed Look at what he says. Be careful not to practice. So when you give to the needy, but when you give to the needy, it was assumed. It's not an if. It's not if you decide to give, if out of your plenty you decide to give a hand at. No, because in the Old Testament, this was an assumed practice. It was a cultural norm. The people gave a tenth back to God. It was just what was done the whole time. In Deuteronomy 26, he talks about giving the first fruits. When your harvest comes in, that's why we have harvest celebrations, to remind ourselves. When the harvest comes in, the first tenth goes back to God. It's a sordid thing. You don't even question it. It's part of your culture. It's what you do. And so Jesus is, is assuming that we do this. It's not an if. It's a when you do it. It's how we do it. He's saying we need to look at together. So he's talking here about giving, serving. He says, when you serve, when you give, your motivation is essential. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't go out in front of all the people and give. Don't make a big deal about it. Give in secret. Give in silence. Be quiet about it. Why? Well, because it's a transaction between you and God. It's not about other people. The question is, who are you doing it for? When you give something to someone else, you just go ahead and do it, don't you? It's someone's birthday today, not from this congregation. So I got a little gift for them. No, I'm not going to come in here and show you all the gift I bought them so that you can go, wow, what kind of a gift is that, right? And tell you all about it. You just bring it in quietly, don't you? And when, when I see them, I say, come to the vestry. There's some happy birthday. Give them a gift, right? You don't go parading it around and saying, hey, look at me. I'm going to give them this gift. Why? Because it's between me and them. It's not between me and everybody else. Who, who am I doing it for? Why am I going to do it? Who's going to be honored? Am I going to do it so that I get the honor? Hey, look at how generous I am. Or am I doing it just because I want to honor someone else? Why do you do it? Then there's this contrast that Jesus gives. Because if you think back to our last lesson, our last time where we shared together. In Matthew 6.1 that we've just read, he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness, your giving, in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Okay, That's just what I've been speaking about. Don't show everybody else what you're doing. But if you remember in Matthew 5.16, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So he's just said in 5.16, let everybody see what you're doing so that it gives glory to God. And in 6.1, he's saying, don't let anybody see it. So what's going on? Why do you think Jesus, is he contradicting himself? Is he having a senior moment here? Going, I've forgotten I said that. What do you think's going on? That's an opportunity for response, by the way. It's the motivation behind it, that's partly true, I mean that's definitely true, but that's not completely what's going on here, that's part of it. What else do you think? Uh, No, that's not the same little bit, no. No. That's a good 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 uh good trial, like But that's not quite Eugenia. Action speaks louder than words. Where where's that from in the Bible? It's not <laughs> it's just uh I tell you what it is. I mean you're partly right. The your in the top one in Matthew six one is singular. So it's talking about you and me. Be careful not to practice your righteousness. Your righteousness is your relationship with God, okay? Don't practice that. So David, don't practice, be careful not to practice David's relationship with God, his righteousness, how that plays out, his giving in front of others to be seen by them. Because if I do that, I won't receive any reward. But the you're in Matthew 5.16, in the same way, let your light shine, is collective. It's plural. It's the churches. So what we're supposed to do is when we minister for God, when we work for God, when we give and allow God's Spirit to use our gifts and abilities, when we give towards the ministry of God financially and practically and through our gifting and everything else, we do it in a secretive way as possible. But there is so that the church of God, who is the light, remember in Revelation, the lampstands in Revelation chapter 1, there are seven lampstands. These are the lights of the churches. There are seven stars, seven lampstands. The stars are the angels, the lampstands are the churches. And then he goes on to the seven letters to the churches, right? The church is the light. The light of Christ is the church shining out into the world. Let the church shine before others that people will see what Trinity is doing and give glory to the Father, right? So we give quietly, silently into the church so that the church may be seen, the people of God may be seen by the community, and the community give glory to the Father. Make sense? Kind of? But let's carry on quickly. So the motivation, as you said, is critical. Don't. If you do it for yourself, then you're going to be honored, but there'll be no reward from God. But if you do it from God, if you do it silently, secretively, if you don't announce it, if you do it so that it's never seen, God sees, and God will reward you. How are we giving to God? Your motivation is essential, but also your giving is essential too. As we said earlier, it's not a question of if, it's a question of how we do it. Be careful about your righteousness. When you give, when you give, your giving may be done. We need to be people who understand the blessing that comes through giving. And this is critical. If you want to receive the blessing of God, then you need to give. Now, when I say giving, I'm not just talking about giving to the church. This is not a whip round and we're going to have a second offering this morning, okay? This is about us individually looking at how much, how we give to God financially. The giving here in this passage is all about alms. That's what the Greek word is. It's about your tithes and your offerings. When you give of your tithe and your offering to God, what is the motivation, he says, inside of you? But also, what are you doing? Are you giving out of the pennies that you've got left over? Or is it a first fruit? We need to be systematic in how we give to God. You want to receive a blessing from God, he said, this is how you got to do it. So you need to look, you need to sit down and think to yourself, okay, if this is my income, then the first tenth of this goes to God. Now, that is not to say the first tenth goes to the church, right? You sit down and you work out how you're going to give back to God. There may be missionaries you want to support, other charities you want to support, people you want to support, things you want to support because you see that as a kingdom thing that God is telling you, hey, get involved in this, do this and do this. Part of that will be the church. But I'm not saying the whole 10% needs to come to the church. But you sit down and you say, you know what? This is my first fruit. God, thank you for blessing me with financial resources. My first fruit goes back to you. Just as God in Deuteronomy 26 said to them, when the harvest comes in, you give of your first fruit back to God. The firstborn male, give them back to God. To recognize that it's God that is the one that is blessing us. God is the one that is supporting us. Because the critical thing about this is that your giving is tied to your relationship with God Matthew will come on to this. Matthew 6.24, no one can serve two masters. You love one, you hate the other. You cannot serve both God and money. God sees money as a relational subject. How we spend our money is an indication of our love and our honoring of God. Now, we know that some of it has to go in bills and everything else, right? We all, it's the way we live. But the question is, how are you spending your money? Your checkbook, if you like, your bank statement will say much about how much you honor God. And how you respond to him. Is he getting the first fruits? Or is he getting what's left? Because he's saying here, and throughout the pages of scripture, it's consistent throughout the whole Bible. If you want to receive the blessing of God in your life and flowing through you in all its variety of ways, then you put God first, and that includes the resources he gives to us. Deuteronomy 8, we remember that the Lord, look at the last bit, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. When you think to the covenants in the Old Testament, they were all about blessing. The covenant with Abraham. I will bless you and you will be a blessing. Live in the land and I will give you peace and prosperity. And the land will support you. And the land, I will bring the blessings and the cursings. In Deuteronomy uh, 28. You know, you follow what I'm asking you to do, then the land will bless you. You will have abundance in the land. I'll send rain when you need rain. I'll send sunshine when you need sunshine. You'll never be in need. What are we doing with our resources? Wealth comes from God. Remember Jesus. You see, one of the problems is we go to two extremes. Seen that guy in the news recently who's saying, I need a $54 million jet. Did you see that in the States? His fourth one by the way, and he says he needs a jet because uh, he wants to be able to fly everywhere and preach the gospel without having to land in case he gets, I don't know, somehow uh, defiled by the rest of us. So he's asked his his followers for $54 million for his new jet, all for Jesus. And his argument, do you think Jesus would be riding a donkey today? No, he would be riding around in a super fast jet. Anyway, we'll move on from that. But the problem is when we talk about finances, we go from one extreme to the other. One extreme is this. You remember the rich young ruler that came? Jesus said, you know what? You lack something. Give everything you've got to the poor and come follow me. And then Jesus said, you know what? It's so hard for a rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for the rich to enter. And so some people say, well, you know, wealth is wrong. Wealth, we shouldn't have wealth. Wealth is is just damaging to our relationship with God. And they'll quote verses like this. And others say, you know, remember the poor widow? She gave everything she had. And she trusted God. You see, some say wealth is a blessing from God. That as we get wealthier, as we follow God, so that we should receive more and more financially from God. And the wealthy are, are therefore truly blessed by God. And others would say, no, wealth gets in the way of that. You should get rid of everything. Give to the poor. Because it's hard for the, the wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. And they look at the poor widow, and she gave everything, and what faith she had. The truth is that God speaks about both. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your core, who you are, with all your soul, your personality, with all your mind, all your reason and intellect, and with all your strength, with all your resources. It's about your motivation. How are you loving God? And love your neighbor. You see, this is, this is the whole critical bit. Just as God wants His Spirit to be flowing through you and me so that we become channels of His Holy Spirit, so He wants the resources of God, the blessings of God, the rewards of God, the wealth of God to be flowing through you and me too. If you block it up, By saying this is mine, so therefore the blessing doesn't come, God will stop the flow. It's the same with anything. God gives you gifts and abilities. If you use them for His glory, He will increase those gifts and abilities because He'll be flowing through you. But if you use them for yourself, you lose them, He stops flowing. He stops saying, I'm going to stop my blessing in that area because you're not using it in the right way. The more you are a channel of the blessing of God, the more you're a channel of the financial blessing of God, the more he will entrust to you, the more it will flow through you. And it's not for your benefit. It's for the benefit of the kingdom of God. He wants us to be those channels of blessing, just like, that guttering on the side of the house. He will flow it down and you catch it and you, the gutter doesn't hold the water, does it? It doesn't sit there and go, oh, great, now I'm full of water. That's wonderful. It transports the water from somewhere to somewhere else. And that's what he wants for you and me. That's why he says in these words, don't let anybody else know what you're doing, but I want to just completely and continually flow it through you so that you become a channel of my financial blessing for the purposes of the kingdom. In Malachi 3, it says this, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not drop. Their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. He says, test him. Put him first. Give him the first fruits as an initial start. Say, Lord, this is yours. How do you want me to invest this? Where do you want me to put this? How do you want me to do this? Do it with a heart that is open, that is worshipful to God. And God has promised that he will then flow through you so that he will increase the blessing. Test him, he says. If you don't believe me, try it and see. See what he will do. The giving of our first fruits to the kingdom is essential to receiving that blessing. You want God to answer your prayers? One of the questions would be, are you? Are you giving him the first fruits? You want God to bless you in your relationships? Are you giving him your first fruits? You want God to bless you in your marriage? Are you giving him the first fruits? You want God to bless you in your ministries? Are you giving him the first fruits? God is a jealous God. He doesn't doesn't like it when we don't put him first. Take up your cross every day. Follow him. You put him first in all that you do, test him. And you'll see the blessing of God in your life. You put him down the list, then you reap the consequences. We don't like this much, but he says all the way through the Bible, Jesus consistently says that if we test him, if we put him first, there are rewards. Now, we don't like that really, do we? I don't like it much. Because it's almost like he's saying, if you do this, then you're going to receive that. That's exactly what he's saying. If you do it in the right heart, with the right spirit, then I will reward you. Why? Because your heart is open to be a channel of blessing. And the rewards will come. And how? Well, Jesus speaks so much about rewards. These are just a few of the passages in Matthew's Gospel, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Mark, in Luke, in Ephesians, even in Revelation. Right at the end of Revelation, he says, I'm coming and I'm bringing my reward with me to give to the people, dependent on what they've done, how they've responded. And back in Deuteronomy, it says, Give generously to the poor and do so without a grudging heart, your motivation. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. What's your attitude? What's your worship? The rewards, they originate in God, and they can be either eternal, rich young ruler, give away everything, come follow me. You've got an eternal reward. Sometimes they're internal. Sometimes the rewards are, are changing ourselves. That he, he transforms us inwardly, and sometimes the rewards are external. He changes our circumstances and changes where we are, what we're doing, how we're receiving. But just as we trust God in our giving, so we trust God in our rewarding too. God never says, the Bible never says, if you do this, then this will be your reward, and specifies it. You do these five things for me, I'm going to increase your bank account 100%. Never works that way. He says, if you trust me, If you trust me by giving me your first fruits, there will be rewards. But trust me for the rewards too. Because he's a loving father who knows what's best for you and for me. For some, that may be financial. For others, it may be relational. For others, it may be eternal. For others, it may be that he will transform something inside of you. For others, it may be a blessing that flows out from you into other people around you. And you have the joy of seeing the blessing in their lives. Whatever it is, trust him. Because he's a loving father that gives good gifts to his children. So this morning as we come to his table, consider all the resources that God has given to you. By their use. And how are you positioned for the reward that he wants to give to you, the blessing that he longs to give to you? Jesus started his first sermon, his first teaching, by saying, I want to give you blessing. Are you in the right place to receive the blessing he wants to give you? Are you there in the right place at the right time, surrounded by the right people, just waiting for the blessing to come? Do you tithe? Do you give the first fruits of your income back to God with a with a a loving heart, with a heart that says, Thank you, Lord, for looking after me. You're my father, you're the one that cares for me. Thank you, God. Do you do it secretly? Lord, I want to give here and here and here and here, but I'm just gonna do it quietly. No one else needs no. And do you give out of your relationship with God? You give because you say, Lord, I love you so much that I just want to give to you. I just want to honor you. I want to love you. And I want to show my love for you in this way. Because then you will be a channel of blessing. God will bring his reward on you as he has promised here. And those fruits, those flowers will grow and blossom even brighter, even more sweet in the garden of the kingdom of heaven. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for all the things that you do for us. Thank you for your resources that you give to us. Lord, you've said to us that we never need to worry. We'll come on to that in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Lord, with our finances, you ask us to trust you. You speak about money more than almost any other subject after love and righteousness, because you knew how critical it is. Help us to examine ourselves just quietly and to know whether we're giving you the first fruits. It's no good us asking you for blessing. Please bless this and do this and do this. If, Lord, we're not obeying what you're asking us to do. To give our first fruits back to you. To acknowledge that all the resources we have ultimately come from you. That they're a blessing that you want to channel through us. Help us to get this right in our lives so that we may be channels of blessing for your glory. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.